Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Greetings, conversationalists. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number 877-973-7425. Coming to you from Washington, D.C. today. I actually had to fly in last night. You know, I told you guys I was going to Baltimore yesterday. I actually wound up going into Dulles. Got to the airport. Got to the plane. I was like, wait a second. I think I'm on the wrong flight. Uh, nope. Uh, Dulles. But uh, no, I haven't flown into Dulles in like 20 years. Uh, anyway, want to move on. Um, this one, uh, well, I'm going to go there. Do you know who Elliot Cutler is? Does the name sound familiar to you? He worked for uh, Jimmy Carter in the Carter administration. He's a mega donor to the Democrats, and he almost became governor of Maine back in 2010. Elliot Cutler ran for governor of Maine, came very close to winning. He has been arrested for 83,780 files of child pornography, images, and videos, including men raping four-year-old girls. He's going to go to prison for nine months. Nine months. That's right. Now, why nine months? Let me read you what the prosecutor says. With the backlog of cases, it is very unlikely this case would have been reached for three years. If we want defendants to face justice, we want it to be resolved before Mr. Cutler is no longer with us. Granger, the District Attorney Robert Granger from Hancock County said his assumption why federal prosecutors passed on the case, uh, which might have resulted in harsher penalties, was that there was no evidence that uh, the guy Cutler disseminated or created the pornography. He just collected it, uh, but he didn't create it himself and he didn't spread it around. So uh, the federal government took a pass on it and the local prosecutors were like, eh, we're backlogged nine months. 87,000 pictures and videos, including raping of a four-year-old girl. This reminds me of the situation in Georgia, where a man referred to as the world's most prolific collector of pornography was sentenced to a thousand years in prison by a judge, a thousand years in prison. And the board of pardon and paroles let the guy out after just a few years. Just a few years, apparently he he did a, enough good behavior stuff in prison that he reduced his 1,000-year sentence to just a few years, less than a decade in prison. Uh, we as a society, we're not taking kids very seriously, are we, these days? I mean, we got parents who testify before legislative bodies that they knew their kid was transgender because the kids ate green vegetables. Uh, the neuroses of the parents being inflicted upon the children. You know, let, let, let's just let let's let's take the the transition issue. We know it's been well documented now. There are teachers in the country who encourage kids in their classrooms to transition without the parents knowing it, and the left is okay with this. They think it's a safe space for the kids. The kids come to school, and when they get to school, the boys put on girls' clothes, the girls put on boys' clothes, they change their names at school. Bob becomes Suzanne, Suzanne becomes Christopher, and all the teachers play along with it. And uh, the administration say, don't tell the parents. You can't tell the parents. 
The parents aren't allowed to know. Now, can you imagine the left's reaction if the if the teachers and the administrators were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and transitioning the children from pagans to Christians? Can you imagine the outrage of the national media if a teacher was proselytizing Christianity or Islam even to the kids in school. You and I both know it would be a national news story if this was happening, and yet we're supposed to go along with it, and parents are supposed to surrender their values and their children to schools to allow the teachers to transition the kids to a different gender. We don't value our children. You got a guy who collected 87,000 pictures of child pornography, gets nine months in prison, and the prosecutor's like, well, we're just backlogged. You've got a man in Georgia who is considered the world's most prolific collector of child pornography. The judge gave the man a 1,000 years in prison. He literally well, he ran, ran a TV station. He was on like a county commission or some such. And he ran a TV station in LaGrange, Georgia. And he put video cameras in bathrooms and other places so he could see young women. And if the, the women took their kids to the, 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 the studio, they got filmed in the bathrooms. It was horrific. He had pictures of children being brutally raped and videos of it. The judge called him, not me, not the newspaper, the judge called this guy the most prolific collector of child pornography on the planet. He got a 1,000 years in prison, and the Georgia Board of Pardon Parole let him out after, I think, seven years. They claim, well, it was bad health. He was old. He roams the streets of Atlanta right now. By the way, he roams the streets of Atlanta right now. And now this, this guy, Cutler, Democratic politician, worked for Jimmy Carter, mega donor to the Democratic Party, gets nine months in prison for 87,000 pictures of child porn because, well, he didn't disseminate them. He didn't create them. He just collected them. He, he didn't want anybody else to see them, you see, so he collected them. We don't value our children. The Board of Pardon and Paroles in Georgia has never been held to account. Most of the members of the Board of Pardon and Paroles who let out the world's most prolific collector of child pornography to the streets of Atlanta, Georgia, are still there. The legislature in Georgia has never acted against the Board of Pardon and Paroles. In fact, I've had more than one judge, including a judge on the, or justice on the Georgia Supreme Court, tell me that this is a recurring pattern and problem with the Georgia Board of Pardon and Paroles, that they don't take child predators as seriously as they should. And the legislature, I've told the legislature this, I, I had this justice of the Supreme Court say he has brought it up to the leadership of the legislature, and the leadership of the legislature at the time chose to do nothing. We do not value our children and it's a damning indictment on society, I think, when these sorts of things happen. I mean, the, the, this, the transitioning of kids. And when you listen to the parents, so many of the parents speak about it. Y'all, I'm not kidding. These are the neuroses of the parents playing out abusively on the children. There was this awful Facebook post I saw the other day from a mom who took her daughter, I believe. it was. No, no it was her son. You'd be amazed at the number of single uh, middle-aged women who have... Uh, kids who they've decided, though their boys, are now girls. 
it really is striking when you start looking into the patterns of these, the number of middle-aged, divorced women whose sons are suddenly girls. It's like, wow. But this particular mother in in the comments was talking about how, how the son fought. He did not want to take the puberty blocking drug. He did not want to take the drug. He begged his mom to stop, and she knew it was just it, it was his body lashing out. Really, he wanted it. She offered him money. They couldn't come back. It 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 read like child abuse. We don't take our children seriously in this country. And the Western world, kids seem to be expendable. I talked to you yesterday about the Vox story about the chickens. They're upset about male chicks being killed because they're no use to the egg hatcheries or to the egg producers. So they just kill the male chicks. As soon as they're born, they kill them. And now they're worried, the Vox writers are, that, well, they feel pain. And now we know that even when they're in the egg, they feel pain. And we don't want them to kill the eggs because they feel pain. Even though they're not born yet, they feel pain. After 12 days, science shows they feel pain. And these same people are okay with abortion until the moment the child is completely out of the womb because who cares if the human being child feels pain in the utero? We don't value our children. Somebody said, I can't remember who it was, that if COVID was killing the young instead of the old, the people who were COVID skeptics would have responded rapidly to do something. They would have all gotten vaccinated. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's true. We're an abortion-on-demand society. We're giving slaps on the wrist to to people who collect child porn. I mean, we got Joe Biden in office who creepily hugs kids in the weirdest ways, and and we're going to pass on. We won't even get into his daughter's diary. We don't respect or value our children the way we should. We put them in failing schools where they get indoctrinated instead of educated. We create dependencies for them. I think it's a sign of a failing society, a society that doesn't value our kids. Christ said to value the kids, and it's a a damning indictment on a society that doesn't value their kids, and we don't value our kids. I mean, you do. I realize you listening do. I do. I love my children. But collectively as a society, there's just something off in our society. We don't value the kids. You put a guy who collected 87,000 pictures of child porn in prison for nine months. And because eh, we, we want him to see justice and, and he's old, so we just got to give him something. We'll see him there for nine months. You let out the world's most prolific collector of child porn on a thousand-year sentence. He's out after seven years because, well, he's kind of in poor health. So we decided to let him roam the streets of Atlanta. More worried about uh, baby chicks feeling pain than children in utero feeling pain. It, it, it's it's kind of a damning indictment on our society. Now, that's not to say that other societies are better. I still think we're a better one than, than most others. But we've got some really screwed up priorities, and, and if we want to set ourselves up for a better future, I would submit to you we need to recommit to actually not indoctrinating our kids but educating our kids, giving our kids a future, and, and treating those who would abuse our children uh, with violence from the state. 
Ron DeSantis, God bless him, has signed legislation that'll give the death penalty to uh, people who serially abused kids in, in awful ways. Good for him. The rest of the nation should do the same. We are a society that doesn't seem to value our kids, and we're putting predators in prison with slaps on the wrist, and that needs to change. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. I want to play for you this audio. Uh, welcome to all of you. By the way, you should text DATA to 33777. Subscribe to the email. Yes, you should. I, I want to play this audio for you. This is uh, Bill Weir talking on CNN about the New York ban on natural gas stoves. Absolutely. It's a very emotional thing, cooking over fire. It's primal. People love the idea of, of a furnace burning in the, in the basement to keep them warm, or they like the way their food cooks. It's a cultural thing. But there is no doubt the science is showing us that those choices are heating up the planet at, at sort of a scary rate, uh, all put together. Buildings account for about 20% of carbon cook, you know, planet cooking carbon pollution as well. So this is part of a wave of electrification across the country. New York, the first state, but there's about 90 different municipalities and counties. The first was Berkeley, California, a couple of years ago. But interestingly enough, a couple of weeks ago, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals struck down their ban on gas hookups to new buildings there. Uh, but there's other routes to it, different building codes, energy codes that could make it this easier for others who want to do this. But of course, natural gas industry, the lobby, some restaurant uh, lobbyists are, are fighting back against this. Uh, Republicans in New York saying, why, why shouldn't a New Yorker have a choice on how they heat their home as well? So uh, this is part of a sort of a, a simmering energy war. Even Governor uh, Perry down in Texas or Governor Abbott, rather. Perry was the former one. Governor Abbott has tried to ban gas bans uh, in his state and has, has threatened to sue other states that try to do this sort of thing. So this is the beginning of a big fight. Yeah, and do you expect or will there be any exceptions in these cases? There are, of course, exceptions for any existing gas appliances now. They want to push people towards heat pumps or induction stoves over time. That's a, sometimes a bigger investment up front, but the ones that are there can stay as long as they last, I suppose. Uh, some car washes, some industries are exempt that have bigger needs as well. But this is one step closer to uh, a world without fossil fuel pollution. It's a big one given the size of New York. And it's that last part. That that last part is the part that gets you because it's like Kathy Hugel. Kathy Hugel, the governor of New York, it's all about the transition. They want to make the transition. They they want to transition us away from fossil fuels. Y'all, there there's something cold hearted about this forced transition from the left. It's like your parents forcing you to sit at the table until you eat your green beans. It's kind of what they're doing here, except they're doing it to an adult people who must make livings. And they claim it's for the best to get us out of these fossil fuels, and yet they don't want to pay attention to the people in the blizzards or the people in the hurricanes. They don't want to pay attention to the benefits of the natural gas usage where, you know, they're still in New York generating a lot of power at power plants from natural gas. The individual home output doesn't matter so much, and there's actually a real benefit to using natural gas as opposed to forcing everyone to electricity. And by the way, natural gas in many cases is cheaper but you can also do things with natural gas that you can't in your kitchen with. And look, I love induction. I don't have gas in my house to cook on. I've got an induction range. 
used to have electric until my wife accidentally stepped on it when she was cleaning the, the lights above. And then we got an induction one. And the induction one boils water faster than gas or electric. An induction stove, good Lord, that thing can bring a giant pot of water to boil in like three minutes flat. It's impressive. But I got a lot of friends who are chefs who love their gas ranges because they can uh, they can char vegetables and and toast up things right there on the burner. They find use in them and how they cook. There, there's an art to it, the Maillard reaction, the, the charring. And then fireplaces and heaters and water heaters and what happens when the power goes out. And instead, they're just treating this as if it's some great thing. Bill Weir is an activist, environmentalist. He laments fossil fuels and laments climate change, and, and he's pretty happy about this. We're not going to get fair and balanced reporting from the environmental reporter from CNN who's all in on this. And it's just the transition, and people will accommodate, and they can buy old houses. You know what's going to happen is the older houses are going to be sold for a premium. The older houses, they're they're going to sell the older houses, and the older houses are they're going to make a mint off these older houses. But it's just, it's sad to see the media not contemplate the problems. It's sad to see the media not be willing to deal honestly with the situation that's actually happening. It, it just, it's, it's deeply frustrating to me to look and understand that they are kind of out to get us. They do view you and me as an enemy. And they do want to force us to change our behaviors with the power of the state. And I just continue to think that a backlash is going to come. Hello, America. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Yes, the Eric Erickson Show. Go figure how that works. I want to play for you a clip. Uh, this is Scott Jennings. I, I've gotten to know Scott uh, in the last couple of years. He's a CNN uh, contributor from the right. He lives in Kentucky. And I was actually with him last week when I was in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I, he confronted Randy Weingarten, the union president for schools. You know, she testified before Congress. She's trying to rehabilitate herself and, and gaslight us. Uh, Randy Weingarten was one of the chief and loudest advocates for shutting down schools and not reopening them. She's on record, y'all. I mean, this is such a gaslighting attempt by her. She's denying that she had anything to do with it. She's denying she had anything to do with, with keeping schools closed, advocating for schools to be closed, advocating for keeping schools shut down. She's denying all of it. She's claiming she wanted she wanted to get everything reopened as quickly as possible, and she did not. Objectively, she did not want that. She wanted the schools to be shut down. She supported unions around the country that were refusing, teachers were refusing to go to school. She did all these things. She put the teachers ahead of the kids. She didn't just put the teachers ahead of the kids. She put the teachers' union ahead of the kids. She didn't care about the welfare of the kids, and she's trying to do this rehabilitation with fawning profiles in the New York Times and the like, knowing the damage that she did. You don't rehabilitate yourself that hard unless you know you did something wrong. This is Scott G. Just listen. This, by the way, this is why I think radio is, is such a powerful medium, because you can't see Scott Jennings' face. But listen to the emotion in his voice. Uh, yeah. Um, 
We don't know each other, but speaking on behalf of millions of American parents, I have four at home. I had to teach them at home. My wife had to teach them at home. I am stunned at what you have said this week about your claiming to have wanted to reopen schools. I think most you'll find that most parents believe you were the tip of the spear of school closures. There are numerous statements you made over the summer of 20, scaring people to death about the possibility of opening schools. And I hear no remorse whatsoever about the generational damage that's been done to these kids. I have two kids with learning differences. Do you know how hard it is for them to learn at home and not in a classroom that was designed for them? And for you to sit in front of Congress and the American people and say, oh, I, I wanted to open them the whole time. I, I am shocked. I'm stunned. I'm stunned. And there are millions of parents who feel the exact same way. Okay. Go ahead, Ryder. Good, good for Scott. Good for CNN allowing him to confront her. So th- this happens in life. It happens in jobs. Very few bad guys ever think of themselves as bad guys. I, I, I want to say something, and it shouldn't be controversial. You know, Hitler was an evil, evil man. Hitler was a genuine bad guy. I actually, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a uh, very deep in theology. He may actually be listening right now. He's very deep in theology. And, and you, you know, Christians are supposed to believe that, that we don't know whether people go to heaven or hell. That's that, that's God. Maybe someone had a last minute conversion. I was like, yeah, yeah leaf. And, and he, he brought up, you know, I mean, we really don't know. Maybe before he ate the bullet, Hitler repented. It's like, no, no, I can assure you he did not. We will not see him in heaven one day. There is no way on God's good earth we're going to see him just leave it. Don't, don't even try that with Hitler. Hitler's bad. Hitler's evil. Hitler's burning in hell as it should be. Now, I'm not actually comparing Randy Weingarten to Hitler. I just need to make the point that I guarantee you Hitler did not see himself as the bad guy in the story. He didn't see himself as evil. Thanos in the Avengers thought himself the hero. He was saving everyone by wiping out half the universe. He was saving everyone, and he knew no one will see me as the hero, but I really am. Everyone will see me as the villain, but actually I'm the good guy here because I have freed up resources. I mean, he's like like Paul Ehrlich or Malthus. He he really he's, he believes that there's going to be too much population, and we got to call the herd to save it for, for the rest. I mean, that that's what he did. He was an insane madman, but he viewed himself as the hero. Dr. Fauci, you know Dr. Fauci goes to sleep at night and looks up at the at the Vanity Fair cover of him uh, when he goes to sleep, realizing, gosh darn it, I'm just the best. I did the best, and I saved the most people. You, you know Dr. Fauci, when he goes to bed at night, looks at himself as, man, if I could have my own baby, I would. I'm just so enamored with myself for being the hero I am. Dr. Fauci's not the hero of the story, but you know he does. He, he views himself as the hero of the story. Randy Weingarten views herself as the hero of the story. It is very clear she views herself as the hero, as the protagonist. She believes she did what needed to be done to save everybody's life. She believes she did what needed to be done to save the children and the teachers 
and she did what needed to be done to get the schools reopened when they needed to be reopened. She does not recognize and denies that what she did was wrong or went too far or was too extreme or held children back. Because in her mind and in her circle of friends, she's the protagonist. And when she went to Washington, D.C., and she hung out with Congress and the Republicans berated her, she didn't care. They can't cost her her job. They can't cost her her livelihood. They can't do anything to her, and she can say it's just partisan rhetoric. Scott Jennings on CNN, sitting at the same table, could look her in the eye with the emotion in his voice and say, lady, most people think you were the tip of the spear. August 24th of 2020, Randy Weingarten, huge. Judge strikes down Florida school reopening order, says unconstitutional to require brick-and-mortar classes this month. Judge requires safe schools reopening. Thank you. That's her. In fact, her school union aggressively pushed at the local level for schools to stay closed. This is from December 2nd, 2020. How teachers' unions are influencing decisions on school reopenings. Throughout the pandemic, teachers' unions in many states and large districts have played a powerful role in negotiating school closures and reopenings. And with coronavirus cases surging around the nation, the labor groups are continuing to flex their political muscle, most often pushing for a more conservative approach in getting teachers and kids back in buildings. While not all districts need to reach an agreement with their unions to resume in-person instruction, they do need teachers to show up. And in many cases, unions are arguing that they do want students to go back, but only when particularly safe precautions are in place. Teachers' unions have an outsized voice. And you can't do reopenings without the teachers, says Bradley Mariano, an assistant professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where studies, who studies educational governance. Several statewide teachers unions, including the Illinois, Maryland, and Wisconsin unions, have put pressure on their governors to shut down schools across the state or set clear benchmarks that indicate or dictate when districts will have to close their doors. Eleven states, including the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, have state-ordered full or partial closures in effect. The United Federation of Teachers in New York has been vocal during the twists and turns of the city's reopening journey. The union first backed the mayor's plan to close schools where the city hit a 3% positivity rate, a threshold more conservative than most in the country, and is now supportive of a phased reopening of schools in parts of the city where transmission rates are low. That was December 2nd of 2020. My kid's school was reopened in August of 2020, and they never shut down. Areas that had high union concentration stayed shut down. The New York Times, January 8th of 2022, 2022. Few American cities have labor politics as fraught as Chicago's, where the nation's 
third largest school system shut down this week after teachers union members refused to work in person, arguing the classrooms were unsafe against the Omicron surge. But in a number of other places, the tenuous labor peace that has allowed most schools to operate normally this year is in danger of collapsing. While not yet threatening to walk off the jobs, unions are back at the negotiating tables, pushing in some cases for a return to remote learning. They frequently cite understaffing because of illness and shortages of rapid tests and medical grade masks. Some teachers in a real guard action have staged sick outs. This happened in progressive areas around the country. This happened because of Randy Weingarten and the teachers' unions. And now she wants to claim that she was one of the the leading advocates in getting schools to reopen. She was one of the leading advocates. She, She insisted schools needed to be reopened. Except she didn't. She did not. It's a lie. And in some school districts, they tried to punish parents for giving their kids a leg up. They insisted that parents not hire tutors. My kids, our school shut down in, I think, April, March or April of 2020. And they were closed the rest of that school year. Would have ended in in May. They they did remote learning. It sucked. None of us were happy. And then, well, thankfully, our school reopened in August of 2020 and never closed again. But too many schools did. Now, our schools didn't run the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Maybe they should have. Trapping the, the dust, the mildew, the pollen, the bacteria, whatnot. Uh, they trap it on electrostatic plates, so they get rid of the bacteria, the viruses, all that stuff floated in the air. But they also eliminate odors, and you can get three of them at EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code on the front page of the site is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You put that in at EdenPureDeals.com, and you save $200. You get three Eden Pure stores for less than $200. You get free shipping, EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Eliminate odors. Smoke Odors, litter box odors, pet odors, cooking odors, musty odors. Get rid of the dust and the pollen and, and the, the debris floating in the air. The things just work. Go to EdenPureDeals.com today. Put in the discount code Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Get three of them for less than $200. EdenPureDeals.com. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. It is true. So I am not set up. This is like the second Friday in a row. I feel bad. We'll, we'll have to open the phone lines uh, on Monday. I'll be in Sea Island, but I already know they tested the setup there, so I'll be able to take phones uh, as far as I know. I mean, it worked when they tested it. They do those, these line tests for me when I'm traveling, and I just I wasn't sure about the Internet connection here where I am. I'm at a super secret meeting of the vast right-wing conspiracy. I got up. I flew in last night, had dinner with everyone, started meetings, I was up until almost midnight last night and then got up at 6 this morning uh, for breakfast, was in meetings from 7 until 11, uh, did show prep for an hour. I've thrown this entire show together in an hour. Uh, we'll be here until 3, go back to meetings until sometime after 5, and then fight traffic back to the airport, get on a plane around 9, get home. Kind of exhausting. And I, I thought I was going to Baltimore, but I didn't. I um 
got my meetings mixed up, I guess, because it looks like I am going to one, but uh, this one is outside of Dulles. Um, nonetheless, um, so while I'm here, one of the conversations that uh, have been engaged in, and I can't really talk about a lot of stuff, but one of the conversations is the debt ceiling fight. The Democrats brought out the head of intelligence to inform Congress that if America defaults on its obligations, that Russia and China will use it in a PR campaign against us. And I'm like, duh, of course they would. But does it matter? Uh, default is a choice, and it's on the Biden administration. And I don't know that the Biden administration is listening. The Republicans have made it very, very clear they're not going to do a clean debt ceiling increase. And the Democrats are insistent that's the only option. The Republicans have already passed a plan that does spending cuts and raises the debt ceiling. And the Democrats are like, we didn't see them do that. We don't believe you. We, we don't think they did that. They're in denial. The Democrats are provoking this crisis. It's not the Republicans provoking the crisis. It is purely the Democrats provoking the crisis. If we get to default, undoubtedly the media will blame the Republicans. But for the record, they passed a debt ceiling increase. The Democrats didn't think they'd be able to pass a debt ceiling increase. In fact, the Democrats were convinced that Kevin McCarthy would be unable to get the Republicans to go along with it. Yet here we are. All the Democrats have to do is go along with it, except they won't because the Republicans have cut the 87,000 IRS agents. You know, uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre says the Republicans want to cut border patrol agents. That's not really true. The Republicans want to cut some bureaucracy and homeland security, but not actually the border patrol. Instead, the Democrats are spinning it. The media is giving them a pass on it. Why won't they ask tough questions of this administration? Well, of course, we know why. I will tell you who they're asking tough questions of. Members of the media have realized that CNN is going to do a town hall with Donald Trump, and they are furious. The View chastised CNN for platforming the former president of the United States as if Chris Licht cares. I, it, it's, it's funny to watch members of the press attacking CNN of all the news networks attacking CNN because they're giving down Donald Trump a chance to interact with voters in New Hampshire. Voters, by the way, he hasn't selected. What if the voters ask him about January 6th? What if they ask him about the stolen election stuff? They, they don't even want him to get the platform. Listen, I, I'm not a fan. I, I, you all know my views on Trump. He'd certainly be better than Biden, but I think the GOP can do better. But the fact that people are now turning on CNN for giving the man a platform just strikes me as, as utterly absurd by a bunch of really absurd, dumb people for wanting to do that. Uh, watching now Sunny Houston or whatever her name is on the view. She's not exactly a bright person. She's pretty much a racist uh, and, and kind of crazy at that. Not very smart, very predictable in what she thinks. You know, it, well, yeah, I'll get into that later. I, I just, uh, th this, this angst at CNN, but you know, Back to the debt ceiling, tying all this stuff together, CNN, I don't know, has been aggressive on the Democrats on the debt ceiling. Uh, it, it's probably time that they actually take a stand on this and ask the Democrats tough questions. Now, I know Jake Tapper has. Jake Tapper, I actually like Jake a lot. He's a good guy, tries to be very fair, uh, doesn't like Trump. I don't think he, he leans to the right. I don't think he does. But at least he's willing to ask the Democrats the, those awkward questions about the debt ceiling and stuff. Uh, and at least he will, but more of that, please. I, I can't expect it of MSNBC. 
But I do hope that the rest of the media starts asking Democrats the tough questions because the Democrats are completely convinced the media is so in their corner they never have to, except there's a problem. There's a problem for them on this debt ceiling fight that I will talk about when we come back. 